Well, it's good to be with you all. I'm Tripp if I've not met you, and I look forward to meeting you eventually. Uh, Last week, we talked about the welcome of Christ and how it's our call as a people to show hospitality to those around us, to, to make room. And that's important because we're starting a new semester, and we're going to be getting to know new classmates. New people are coming into our workspace, and maybe new people in your neighborhoods, okay? And we're inviting newcomers into this church. We want to be a people of welcome. But what drives our welcome? What drives all of our life, for that matter? When you pop your head off of the pillow in the morning, what gets you going? If if we stop and think about it, we can make a sound argument that the answer is hope. We're all hoping for something when we rise up in the morning. We're hoping that by working hard, we might receive that promotion. Or that by investing a little more deeply into that friendship, it'll take on new character. And sometimes those things come to pass, but many times they don't. And in fact, sometimes we experience hopelessness as we wake up in the morning. I'm reading a book by uh, Sally Lovebreed, and, and she writes this. As one, uh, but before we open our eyes in the morning or clear thoughts form in our heads, our hearts ache with a vague sense of trouble. The empty grayness of our interior life moves within us like a fog. As far as we can tell, life is hollow at its core. What if I told you there was a hope that's everlasting and unchanging so that life is not hollow at its core, but there's a fullness to it? Our our passage today, 1 Peter, reads that according to His great mercy, God's great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Say that with me, living hope. Say, living hope. Christ gives us hope. And today, briefly, I want to just give you three reasons why that's the case. And the first is that there's hope in light of your past sins. If we can put that there, Angie. There's hope in light of our past sins. We need to remember that we've been cleansed from our past sins. We can't lose sight of this. We can't lose sight of the gospel if we're going to be a people of hope in what Jesus has done for us. To keep our eyes on Jesus. Do any of y'all ever like lose stuff? Any perennial people like, you know, people perennial losing things? I'm, I always, when I was growing up, I, I would lose my jacket a lot or, you know, I lose my keys. I always find some way to lose stuff at the worst possible moment. Okay, and uh, once we were in Chile, and we stayed at this fabulous cabin, we were leaving that site, and we were hours away uh, on, on a bus heading to Santiago, never to return to this place, it's out of reach, and I get this awful phone call. The cleaners at the cabin have found my wallet there, and the thing is, that's got my debit card, and here's the thing, that's the only access we have to cash. And so I'm a little relieved that we're at the end of our trip because we're going to the Peru airport in the next couple of days and we're done. We're not going back to that place. We get to the airport. 
we've done our research on transaction fees and everything. We're going through the gate, and then this terrible thing happens. There's this red light that comes on that won't let us through the gate. We haven't paid our airport tax. It's $150. But here's the catch. They require cash, and I have no cash. They won't take credit. So then my wife launches this amazing, Jen, sitting right here, she launches this amazing fundraising campaign. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. She's going around the airport. My kids and I were in the, the food court all frustrated, and we're, we're trying to do anything we can to come up with $150. She's, you know, gathering different kinds of currency, talking to different people. She comes up with this ingenious idea of using her credit card to pay for people's Starbucks uh, coffee and stuff so she can get the cash. And eventually, we muster together, like, coins and dollars and Peruvian money, all these different things. We go to this lady, and we, like, pile it all on her desk and say, we've got the $150. It's like 10 a.m. by this point, you know. And so um, we eventually got out of the Peru airport. We didn't have to live there forever. I was relieved. But here's the thing. I lost track of something that was important. I lost track. I took my eyes off of something that was of value. When we lose track of the important stuff in life, we can find ourselves in a place of danger. We must not, if we're going to be a people of hope, take our eyes off of Jesus. Part of what drags us into hopelessness is our own sin. And you know some of your standard sin patterns. Sometimes it's gossip or jealousy, whatever it is, pride. But these things, they keep us from what Peter calls in 2 Peter, being productive and effective. And he talks about the answer to these sinful desires, y'all, is not for us to try harder to earn God's love. It's not to muster up some kind of, you know, character of quality. What he says, and I love this in 2 Peter 1.9, if you don't see these qualities of godly living in your life, and this is hope, y'all, it's because you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Followers of Jesus say, I am cleansed from my past sins. I am cleansed from my past sins. Your past sins do not define you. And we need to come back to this if we're going to be a people of hope. The forward momentum of fighting sin in the present is to remember that we've been cleansed from our sins in the past. You've been cleansed from your past sins, and that gives you hope. Your sin doesn't define you. Your suffering doesn't define you either. Sometimes it's not that sin that we've committed is causing like hopelessness. It's that sin's been committed against us. Or, or that we're just going through physical uh, suffering. Or someone we love is going through pain. It's dark and it's difficult. But there's something strangely strengthening about verses 5 through 9 if you walk through this with me. We see in these passages... The second reason for our hope is that um, he is with us in our current trials and all this. And if you look at verses 5 through 9, you'll see that we're being guarded. Walk through this and see how the word faith is being used. We're being guarded through faith. Okay, we're being guarded. But if you drop down to verse 7, we see that our faith, something else is happening with our faith. It's being tested so that it's shown genuine. But that testing has a purpose. As you read down into verse 9, Peter talks about the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. 
And the prospect of that outcome, the meaning of our faith, the ground of our faith, Jesus himself, it brings us joy, y'all. All these cognates of joy are used throughout these scriptures. Joy, rejoicing, inexpressible joy. There's hope in our current trials because God's with us in them. We're guarded, tested, and the outcome is made clear. But that's kind of weird, isn't it, to think that you're like being guarded by God, but also tested, your faith tested at the same time while you're grieving? What's that about? I had the opportunity to preach at the Citadel for my cousin's wedding, and it is most certainly a military school. You drive up, and there's a guard with a gun at the gate making sure that the compound is protected. And as you go through the gate, there are people that are training, right? They're going through rigorous exercises, like they're running and doing push-ups and all this stuff. And as I think about that scene, it's like what's happening with our soul and the faith that God is shaping in these trials that Peter say, says are for a little while, just a little while. Our soul is like a citadel, this great armored and fortified place where we find connection with God. But in that place, he's testing us. He's testing us, but what I want you to see about your suffering is that it is not meaningless. God has not abandoned you. He's guarding you. God is not cruel. He has not taken his hand off of the wheel of your life. He is with you. Why? To shape your faith so that it might lead to what, what does the scripture say? Look at them right there in verses, uh, right, right there in those verses. It says, verses three through five, towards glory and honor and praise. How do we find hope in the midst of our suffering? It's that our God is with us in it, and that gives our suffering meaning. I would never be so brazen as to say, like, why you're suffering. But I can say that God is with you in your suffering, and it is not meaningless. God is at work in your life. Life is very dark at times. There's cruelty around us. Violence abounds. Where do we go to find hope? One writer speaks about her teenager and how she was trying to bring hope to him. And she brought different comments to him and saying, look at how much you have to look forward to. Look at all the blessings that you have. Think about how much we love you. None of it was helping this depressed teenager this one that was in the darkness and discouraged. And so she went out on a limb and, and gave him some scriptures to read, and he came across the book Ecclesiastes. And, and what it did is that it was describing the ache that he feels. And that ache was the doorway itself into finding hope. Sometimes we just have to name the ache in our souls over the suffering to go into that doorway of new hope. The scriptures give us hope for this. She writes, that Scripture exposes and records the great emptiness of life on this planet. Item by item, the writers of the Bible examine the stuff light is made of and declare that they have found nothing substantial enough to give life meaning. Pleasure, accomplishments, possessions leave the heart empty even when we achieve a full measure of them. Work for work's sake is unsatisfying 
And no matter what our work produces, the instability of circumstance and the passing of time destroy what we have done. Furthermore, despite how productive we may be, work rarely produces satisfaction that we thought it would. All people, regardless of their circumstances, experience the pain of lonely living. Righteousness cannot provide reliable protection from the folly and evil of life. Money seems all important, but it buys so little. Death appears to destroy all hope of meaning. Work, relationships, friendships, hobbies, all the wonderful things in your life, they're not bad things, but they can't bring ultimate satisfaction. Our only hope is found in the living hope we find in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Your sin does not define you. Your suffering does not define you, but it refines you. And that suffering, this is the final reason I want to leave you with, that we can have hope. Our suffering is not forever. What is forever is that there's this future inheritance that is promised us in these scriptures. And it's personal. Look at verses 3 through 5. God himself is the one that's causing this living hope. He's caused you to be born again to a living hope. He relentlessly comes and pursues you. It's God. God caused. God caused. God is prevenient. God is before all things. He's establishing his covenant love for you. And so he's giving you an inheritance that is personal. And it's according to what? Say mercy. Mercy. Mercy is to help someone who's desperately in need. God comes in us. He comes to us in our sin. His blood is sprinkled for us at the cross, as verse 1 and 2 say. But this inheritance is not only personal, it's permanent. Look at these adjectives, y'all. It's described as imperishable. You can't destroy it. It's never going away. It's described as unfading. It can't lose its luster, gleam, and glory. It's undefiled. Unlike everything else in our life that's tainted by sin, this inheritance remains beautiful and pure. And the inheritance has appeared and been revealed as Jesus himself, who the passage describes as being resurrected from the dead to conquer the sin that caused death to come into the world. We don't know a lot about imperishable stuff, do we? I mean, like, we know about perishable fruit with fruit flies flying around or like you know you got to always take your oil to get fixed because it's like decreasing in quality i'm a youth pastor so i know about like my body is perishing slowly after over time when i play sports with our students i used to like heal in like one day now after i get hurt i heal in like one month you know and uh i just we're all perishing we understand death but this inheritance will never be destroyed. And this inheritance, this thing passed on to you, exceeds any expectation you could ever have. Anything you could imagine is glory. This is more glorious than that. I don't know, have you ever had something like a hand-me-down or something that wasn't very glorious, that you know, maybe didn't meet your expectations? Like I, I can remember um, in grad school, everybody's kind of poor, and Panera Bread would bring this bread to the to the student lounge and everybody would like rush on a certain day and scavenge it and and but one time I remember we, we didn't have a car and so we looked in this church bulletin and they listed that they're, they're giving away a minivan we're like sweet uh we go to the church 
and it, this van is anything but mini. It is like a 1982 Hootimobile conversion van that like, it, I mean, this thing was unbelievable. It had like a ladder in the back, like with a big moon window, like a captain's chair that would swivel all the way around. Some of y'all remember that, right? Younger folks don't know about the conversion van. And we were thankful for it, but it was a little awkward. Like when we would drive it into the parking deck at the mall, we would get stuck. Like it would scrape the ceiling. It was too big. The mileage, gas mileage was awful. Kind of wasn't what we were thinking. But the inheritance that God has promised you in Jesus Christ is glorious and beautiful, and you can't fathom it. It's unblemished, indestructible, and it is revealed to be the person of Jesus himself, your living hope. That is a hope that drives us in the day-to-day. We have a lasting hope in Jesus. Our sin doesn't define us. Our suffering doesn't define us. And we have this hope of a future inheritance. Where has hope taken us this summer? And where will it take us this fall? I mean, I saw so much hope at our vacation Bible school uh, this, this past, like, end of July or so. And, and I have a love-hate relationship with VBS, okay? Like, I love children. There are about 150 of them. And their energy, it's so fun to collaborate and all that. But, y'all, the dark side of it, it's exhausting, right? I mean, there were like 300 people four nights in a, in a row eating meals out here. The, the, this, the team transformed with like painstaking effort the, the lobby into like a rainforest. The cafeteria looked like a farm. The community room looked like an ocean. And I got, I got to work with my man Chris Brown, my co-MC, and he's like this, say, hey, say, hey Chris, so he, he is this dynamic, energetic, energizer bunny, and he wrote these dramas and sketches that I had to learn each day. I mean, I was like getting exhausted, man. I'm like, why am I doing all this? And then I'm reminded of hope. When a student gets on the microphone at closing celebration, and we ask them what you've learned, and this child, this young child says, Jesus died for me to forgive me of my sins. Another student pops up and says, Jesus is preparing us for heaven. And right now we get to care for creation to glorify him. All the hope, all the hope that we saw that night. Because Jesus is at work in our children, Jesus is at work in our youth. Amidst all the suffering that we face, we have hope. So I ask you, church, where will hope take us this fall? As we become a people of welcome, driven by the love of Christ, maybe the hope of Christ will take you to help fight food insecurity by helping with the run against hunger. That brings hope. Or maybe you'll see the hope of God in Ezra and Nehemiah as our awesome women's Bible study team puts that together of the women's Bible study. Maybe you'll go deep into Ezra and Nehemiah with them to see hope. Maybe you'll join us in helping with children's ministry, seeing these kids that are learning about the blood of Jesus shed at the cross for them. Maybe you'll see hope at a youth retreat, the fall retreat, the sprinter retreat in the spring. So maybe you'll be out in our community helping with Habitat for Humanity. There's so many things that we're doing as a community that bring us hope, but it's all driven by this unfailing, everlasting love that is secured for us in this imperishable, 
undefiled, unfading Jesus our inheritance.